Please take your Bibles this morning. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 19. And announcing that text means that we are four-fifths of the way through the book of the Revelation. It's getting exciting, and as you'll see today, it is beginning to build to a climax after we have worked through some pretty dark periods in what is to come Here is a glorious, shining light for all of us. Notice, if you will, in Revelation chapter 19, I'll be reading this morning verses 1 through 6. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. He has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four living beings fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, ye that fear him both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, say, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Shall we pray together? Thank you, Lord, for this chorus of hallelujahs in this passage. I ask that you would help every single one of us this day learn what it means to praise our God. Lord, help every one of us to submit ourselves as your servants in the fear of God. And I ask that you would be greatly praised and magnified as we think upon your words today. Dear Lord, would you please, by your spirit today, grant liberty and freedom? Would you move this messenger out of the way so that we hear the very words of God and think upon what he reminds us of, so that no flesh will glory in your presence, that no man will receive the glory, but that every one of us would, from our very beings, as we read in Psalm 146 a few moments ago, from our very souls, that we would say, hallelujah. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps this question has been lingering in your minds as we have worked through the book of the Revelation, and the question is this, when do we get to the hallelujah chorus? We have, in working through the book of the Revelation, we have seen the glory of the Almighty God. That has been first and foremost, the glorious work of God as revealed in his Son, Jesus Christ. After all, this book is entitled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. But in addition to the glory of the Almighty God, we have also seen the depravity, the rebellion, the wickedness of mankind. It is almost startling when you stop to think of it. In a book about the revelation of Jesus Christ, why is there any discussion of mankind's rebellion and of his depravity? And not only that, but the awful penalty for that rebellion. 
Well, it's because, again, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ because he alone is the answer. His finished work is the only answer for the rebellion and the depravity and the ultimate penalty for mankind's wickedness. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so what Pastor Rod and I have tried to do all through this series is demonstrating that tension, demonstrating that contrast between the glory of God and the rebellion of mankind and the awful penalty for that rebellion, have tried to preach Christ Jesus, preach that every one of us needs to come to the place of repentance, both unbelievers and believers, come to the place of repentance and greater faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So it may be today, as we come to Revelation chapter 19, you can begin to see the glimmer of hope and the light. Undoubtedly, many of you in this room are very familiar with George Friedrich Handel's oratorio called The Messiah, entitled The Messiah. And certainly, I would imagine most of you could even sing together without notes, you could sing together the Hallelujah Chorus. What is the basis for that hallelujah chorus? When we hear it sung at Christmas time and probably coming up at Easter time, when we hear the hallelujah chorus and the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, when we hear that, where is that in the Bible? What is it that the scripture actually teaches about that? After all, is it just a memorable melody and a memorable oratorio that gets everyone excited? Or is it in fact in the scriptures? And as I noted in your manuscript this morning, it's actually based on two scriptures. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 reads, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And then, of course, the passage that I just read in your hearing in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, with its chorus of hallelujahs, tells us we're getting tuned up for the final climax. We are finally coming to the zenith, if you will, of this revelation. This is an introduction to the glorious final chapters of the book of the Revelation. Here we see that Revelation 19 especially portrays the almighty God in all of his glory. The Greek there is the pentacrator. You hear the word pan, it's all. Kratos, power. He has all power. He is the pentacrator who is at work in this world. So when you and I begin to despair, we often wonder, is there any real hope? You may have noticed this as we read through Revelation 19, just a moment ago, and certainly you can see this in Revelation chapter 11 and many other places in the book of the Revelation. You read this and it sounds as if it's already passed. It's put in the past tense. And and why does it sound as if it has already happened? And those who study this tell us that this is known as the prophetic perfect tense. And by that, they mean it is so absolutely certain that it's a, it's a literary use that you find in the scripture. 
you can have such confidence in this that it is as if it has already happened. It is already certain. You can have that kind of confidence in it. And Revelation is full of these uses of the prophetic perfect. So that raises the question for all of us, what is a hallelujah? A few moments ago, we read Psalm 146 and noticed that it begins with praise the Lord and ends with praise the Lord. And we saw it in Psalm 147, Psalm 148, Psalm 149. What is the meaning of praise the Lord? And it is the Hebrew word hallelujah. Hallel meaning praise, Yah, an abbreviation of the name of God. It is a hallelujah. That's what a hallelujah really is. It means to praise the Lord, or as it's translated here in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 5, praise our God. So you can see that when you ask, what is this passage really about? It is about praising our God. What should happen in every one of our hearts today as we go to this passage is it should lead us to a doxology. It should lead us to giving glory to God and praising our Lord. We ought to pray for each other. And I had the opportunity to pray for many of you in the congregation this week using chapter 19 and verse 5, especially a voice from heaven said, praise our God, you his servants. What it means by that is those that fear the Lord, both small and great. So when you think about the Hallels, you can think about this praise to our Lord. You can actually sometimes take the Psalms and divide them this way. For instance, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, those are known as the Egyptian Hallels. And the reason would be that those are commonly sung at the Passover when they remember the Exodus. They remember what the Lord did in delivering Israel from Egypt. Those are called the Egyptian Hallels. This passage, I believe, gives us five excellent reasons to praise our God. And the first excellent reason to praise our God is there in verses 1 and 2. Notice again it says, After these things, and so it is introducing a new vision, I heard a voice of much people in heaven. Now that's a little different than what we saw in Revelation 17 and 18 because there you found that it was an angel who introduced the vision. It was an angel who introduced what was happening next. Here it is the voice of a multitude. It is the voice of many. After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying hallelujah. And why do they say hallelujah? Note the words salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. And what does it mean when it talks about his judgments? It goes on to say, he has judged the great whore, the great prostitute, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. As we talked about in Revelation 17 and again in Revelation chapter 18, it is speaking here of spiritual idolatry, which often leads to physical adultery. Therefore, idolatry is put in terms of sexual sin. And so what you're looking at here is this wicked world system spoken of here as the great prostitute or the great strange woman, you could say. An angel announced it, the visions in Revelation 17 and 18. Here is the voice of a multitude. 
that is saying hallelujah to the Lord our God. And why does this judgment come? We talked about this in Revelation 17 and 18. Well, look, if you will, at the very last verse in Revelation chapter 18, and notice the very last words that we finished up with last week. Verse 24, in her, in Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Wow, that is an all-encompassing description. What does it mean by that? Well, there is some sense in which this rebellious religious system, Revelation 17, and this rebellious city, Revelation chapter 18, are brought together. And here's what it's saying, that this great Babylon is the last of the successors of all the great cities who have been thriving on the spirit of Antichrist all these years. By the way, that really helps us to understand the violence that is going on in our larger cities today. You're reading about it in the news. Why is that happening? Well, look at the last phrase again in verse 24. And of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, here's what that means. That means that in some sense, this Babylonish system or Babylonian religious system, you might say, there is some sense in which it is responsible in the spirit of Antichrist for all the deaths, both just and unjust, for all those human beings, God's image bearers that are put to death. It is that system, that wicked world system, that is responsible for all of this bloodshed. You say, when did this begin? It began with the son of Adam and Eve. His name was Cain, and he is most well known for the fact, Genesis chapter 4, that he murdered his brother Abel. Why? Because Abel, the Lord had respect to Abel and to his sacrifice, but to Cain and to his sacrifice, he did not have respect. What you're seeing there and understanding there is this system of murdering began with Cain. It began actually with the fall in Genesis chapter 3, carried through with Cain. And all of these deaths, all of these murders, all of the defiling of the image bearers of God across these years have all been part of this wicked world system that will be judged and most certainly This wicked world system has sought to spill the blood of the prophets of God, those who have spoken the word of God, and of the saints of God, those who have trusted in the word of God. Now, you and I might wrestle with this because we say, wait a minute, you mean all of these deaths, both just and unjust? Well, what about about when we go to war? Scholars such as Augustine have argued very forcefully for the concept of just war. And you and I understand that under the curse, there will always be the Idi Amins. There will always be the Hitlers. There will always be the Mussolinis who try to slay other people. And those people, those dictators, must be withstood. But go a little deeper and ask, well, where do wars come from in the first place? Why, why do we even have wars or battles or fighting? And the answer is over in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I listed it for you on your manuscript there. James 4, 1 and 2. 
from whence come wars or battles and fightings among you? That's what we want to know. Where does that come from? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Remember over in 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about fleeing the lust which war against your soul. Flee from your evil desires which seek to damage and do war against your soul. Here James is saying, come, don't, don't these wars, don't these battles and this fighting, come even of your lust, your evil desires that war in your members. Now he goes on to explain, you lust, that is, you carry through on your evil desires, and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, now look at the last part of it. Yet you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. Think about the contrast that's laid out here in James. He, he is talking about this protest of this evil world system, this, this protest that is fighting in such a way that it, it longs to take control and wield that control, even if it means putting human beings to death. But what that system is really doing is it's leading us away from dependence on our God. That is praying and asking the Lord and knowing that the Lord will hear us and answer us. The Babylonian system says, none of that. We don't need prayer. We don't need dependence on the Lord. No, what we need is control. And so every believer is really faced with this simple question. Are we going to wield control or yield control? Are we going to wield control in the way this Babylonish religious system tries to tell us to do? Or are we going to yield the control to our God, yield to him and humbly pray and seek his face and see what he will do for us? Of course, the Babylonian system says, no, none of that. And what results is in trying to wield control, they actually murder human beings. As I say, all you have to do is look at the news right now, look what's happening in our larger cities, Look at the way that we have become a casually murderous society and then trace that back with this passage. Trace it back to the fact that it's actually the wicked system of Babylon. The lust, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that which is earthly, sensual, devilish. It all traces back to that desire for control, ultimately falling for Satan's lie. You shall be as gods. You get to say who lives and who dies. That's the whole concept behind murder and unjust killing and ultimately of all those who are put to death upon the earth. You know, when you look at those wicked abominations, there's only one thing that is more grievous than those wicked abominations. You say, I don't see how anything could be worse. There is something that is even more grievous than those wicked abominations. Well, what would that be? It is rejecting God's answer for those wicked abominations. That's even worse. Now, I hope that in your minds you're going to challenge that. I hope that in your minds right now you're going to say, wait a minute. How could that be worse than the wicked abominations to reject God's answer for those wicked abominations? 
And all you would have to do, and I listed it for you in your manuscript there, is go over to Matthew chapter 11 and read verses 20 through 24, and here's what you will discover. You will discover the concept or the principle that light received brings more light, but light rejected brings darkness. Because in an astounding teaching, here's what Jesus Christ taught. He said, woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. You say, where are those places? They're on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. They're right next to the home base where Jesus Christ taught at Capernaum. And so what that means is his work, his ministry, his teaching, his miraculous wonders were all on full display in Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he said, woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, because if, the work, if this work that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, out on the coast of the Mediterranean, going north from Israel, Tyre and Sidon. He said, if that work had been done there, they would have repented. Now think about what that means for a moment. Our God knows all the possibilities. He is the God who has infinite knowledge of all these things. And he said, if he had done those same works in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented Yet, by and large, Chorazin and Bethsaida were still unrepentant. He goes on to say that Sodom and Gomorrah would rise up to condemn Capernaum in the day of judgment. And you're, if you're like me, you're reading this passage, you're saying, wait a minute. Look at the abominations that went on in Sodom and Gomorrah, how wicked that was. How in the world can they rise up against the very place that was the home base of Jesus Christ where he preached and taught. And here's what it illustrates for us. Every time you and I get to learn more about the word of God, every time we hear a message that is true to the Bible, every time in our Sunday school classes that we hear the teaching of the word of God, dear friends, we become more responsible with each and every time we become more responsible. We become responsible to be stewards of the light that we have received. And so, yes, there is something that is more grievous. There is something that is worse than these wicked abominations, and that is rejecting God's answer to those abominations. Every one of us should pay very close attention to that. And for those whom you have witnessed to, those with whom you have shared the word of God, help every single one to understand just how responsible they are in God's economy and the way that the Lord looks at this. Who is it that is bringing about this judgment? Well, notice it is the true and righteous judge. Notice again what it says in verses 1 and 2. Hallelujah salvation and glory and power unto the Lord our God. Those are not merely words that are flung out. They are the very reason why we ought to sing our hallelujahs and praise the Lord with hallelujahs. Praise the Lord our God for his salvation. Speaking of it here is of his deliverance, that is, of his ultimate deliverance of this world from the wickedness of the Babylonian system. He says, praise the Lord our God for his salvation. He is our deliverer. He 
alone can rescue humanity from the clutches of this wicked rebellion. Hallelujah for his salvation. Hallelujah for his glory. Praise the Lord for his glory. What does it mean to talk about the glory of God? It means to speak of his unique excellence, the unique excellence of our God. All his ways are best. He is saying, hallelujah for his glory. Hallelujah, praise the Lord our God for his honor. Here, honor has the idea of esteem and even worship, that he alone should be worshiped in this world. Hallelujah, praise the Lord for his honor. Praise the Lord for his power, that is his strength that none can surpass. He's saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord for his true and righteous judgments. He is worthy of praise because he acts truthfully. Now, a reminder, what is truth? When you talk about truth, what is truth? Truth is that which conforms to reality. Now, here's Babylon over here. Here's the religious system. Here's the great city. And what does she dwell in? She dwells in fantasy. She dwells in altered reality, even with her sorceries. The Lord our God deals in truth, that which conforms to reality, and righteousness, that which conforms to his perfectly pure character. So you and I can rest assured that the Lord our God will judge the wicked system of idolatry that has dominated this world. Our Lord is the light. He will end the darkness. When you and I face oppression and prejudice, and injustice at the hands of others, our real tendency is to try to take matters into our own hands, to try to take our own revenge. But the Lord specifically says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, Romans chapter 13. He is the one who is ultimately responsible. If you and I try to take up our own revenge, we always do it wrong. We always go too far or not not far enough, or we don't know all the details, and we don't know the facts and the motives behind those who sinned against us. But the Lord does. The Lord knows all these things. He is the true and righteous judge. He is worthy of our praise. So you and I can rest assured when we do go through injustice and prejudice and oppression, We can remember him, and most importantly, we can wait for him, wait upon him, because ultimately he will bring this this wicked idolatry of this world, he will bring it to end. He will bring it to end in, in the way that he thinks best and is best for him. You and I can say hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power to our God for his true and righteous judgments. But there's a second reason there. You see it in verse 3. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. Now, what is that about? Well, first of all, we saw that what's happening here is the Lord our God should be praised. Now, we could say hallelujah because Babylon, the religious system, will be judged. And that's exactly what you can see in described in Revelation chapter 17. Here it is said, that system's going to be judged. In verse 3, though, the difference seems to be that it's specifically talking about the rebellious city as described in Revelation chapter 18. And again they said, hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. How do we bring this together when we're thinking about this? When it says, 
her smoke. Okay, so it's talking about the destruction of that great city, Babylon, which appears to be the capital city of the Antichrist. That massive city is going to be destroyed. But in what sense does her smoke rise up forever and ever? That is an allusion back to the teaching in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And here's what it's talking about. It's talking about the souls. It's talking about those who are the wicked rebels who die without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Here's what it says about them in Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48. It speaks of hellfire where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. You ask the question, does the Bible speak of the eternal hell? Actually, as we'll see here as we, Pastor Rod and I work through this, hell is emptied into the lake of fire. Does it speak of the eternal lake of fire? It does. There may be those of you in this room who say, wait, 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 I, I'm just not sure that is right. How can hell, how can the lake of fire be forever? We could take you to passages, and we did take you to passages in the book of Daniel, where it actually talks about the eternal nature of heaven and the eternal nature of hell side by side. When it speaks in this passage of her smoke rose up forever and ever, it's not talking about the physical city. It's talking about those who will be in hell for all eternity. The terrifying reality is this. Those who love the city of Babylon, the lust of this world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they love it, they live for it, they long for it. Those will be the ones who, if they do not repent, will be in that terrible place for all eternity. Now, here's the question you and I as believers ought to ask. How should we respond to that? I mean, what should be our response to the fact that the Lord says there are going to be people in the lake of fire for all eternity? What should be our response? And the answer is, hallelujah. Praise our God. Praise the Lord. Why? Because true and righteous are his judgments. He is absolutely right and pure to do this. Our only submissive response can be this. Hallelujah. Praise our God in his perfect righteousness. The Lord our God will pour out his wrath upon the wicked. There's a third excellent reason. You can see it there in verse 4 when it says, And the four and twenty elders and the four living beings, I like to translate that next word, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. This is really kind of interesting. And there are different scholars who kind of look at verses one and two and say, well, is that multitude the angels? Others would say, no, I believe it's redeemed people. In any case, there seems to be this wonderful back and forth, almost like we would do in a responsive reading. You can see as they are singing, it, it stirs and motivates others to sing and praise and say to our God. And here in this case, it's the leaders, the four and twenty elders and the four living beasts. They fell down and worshiped God that sat on his throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. What does that teach us? How should you and I respond when we see this kind of truth, this proclamation of prophecy in the word of God? How should we respond? 
Don't you think we ought to fall down on our faces and worship God, the king who sits upon his throne, and to say amen and hallelujah? He says back in chapter 18, verse 20, and this seems to be a connection here between verse 4 and what he commanded back in Revelation 18, 20. He said, rejoice over her, thou heaven. Rejoice over what? Rejoice over the destruction of Babylon, that great city, that penultimate, that consummation of all that has gone on in this world system. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. What's the right response to this command? Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise our God. We should say amen. When is it right to say amen to something? Well, to say amen is to confirm the credibility or confirm the truthfulness of something. You know that in the Gospels, Jesus often said, verily, verily, or truly, truly. You can see this idea of saying amen, which is a, it's a confirmation, or better said, an affirmation, where you as an individual, you affirm and say, that is absolutely right. If you know your Bible and you hear something said that you would say, well, that's exactly right, how would you respond then? You would say, Amen. Whether it's in a public service like this or in a private discussion group this afternoon, somebody says something, you say, that, that conforms exactly to what the Bible says. Well, well, amen to that. And as I noticed in your manuscript, and you can see it there in John chapter 3 and verse 33, it has the idea of he sets to his seal that God is true. In other words, your personal seal, your personal affirmation, you'd say, Amen. That's, that's exactly right. Amens are not just entertainment uh, in a public service. It, it's not merely a way to, to stir the preacher up to preach even better. Although, Pastor Rod and I both can tell you, it is a great encouragement to hear amens every once in a while. Amen, brother? Amen. It is, it is an encouragement to hear amens every once in a while. But we need for you to think about what you are actually doing. You are Amening. It's, it's not you're amening a joke or some whimsical humor that we use. No, you're amening and saying, I set to my seal that what was just said is actually conforming to God's very truth. That is absolutely true. And the reason it's so important is down in John chapter 3 and verse 36. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not the Son shall not see life. That is, he shall not see eternal life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Think about those words for a moment, my friends. Abides on him. For all eternity, the wrath of God abides on him. Let those words about where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched sink into your minds as you think about the wrath of God abides on him. When you get to that discussion question this afternoon and ask the question of how should this, how should this affect the way that we respond to lost people, know this, that the wrath of God abides on that person. Think of that person in the lake of fire 
where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. That ought to stir up in every one of us a compassion and a pity and a longing to give a spirit-filled witness with compassion, showing the lost that they must turn and trust the Lord. When someone believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he is basically depending. He is yielding control. Rather than wielding control the way that Babylon does, he is yielding control. He is saying, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is yielding control at that moment and saying, Lord, I'm trusting you. That tax collector back in the Gospels who said, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was confessing his sinfulness. And Paul adds in Romans chapter 10, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To say that is to depend upon the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins and his rising again as the only hope of going to heaven. All who refuse him should know that he believes, he that believes not shall not see eternal life. And again, the wrath of God abides on him. We have to ask the question again, how should you and I respond to this magnificent truth? The right answer from Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 through 6 is hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Our God's ways are best. He is right and true and we ought to give him glory. There's a fourth excellent reason. Notice it there in verse 5. And a voice came out of heaven saying, praise our God, all ye his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. Could I stop the message just for a moment and ask you this question? Are you God's servant? Are you God's servant? You see what happens when someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives himself to the Lord. He gives himself to the Lord and he becomes the servant of God. Well, what would those servants look like? How would you describe them using this passage? Read verse 5 again and notice what it says. A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants. Many translations do not have the conjunction and next. They just go on to say, You that fear him, both small and great. Well, when we read about these elders and angels, the living creatures in heaven praising the Lord... How should you and I respond? I mean, we we get right down to our level in the pew here today, don't we, with verse 5. How should we respond? We should respond as humble servants. And we should say, praise our God. When we hear hallelujah and praise the Lord, we ought to say, well, praise our God. But it raises the question, is he your God? Is he our God? Can you say today, he is my God, I am his servant, I fear him. That's what verse 5 is about. He is saying here, praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. So this verse is equating being God's servant with being someone who fears the Lord. Are you someone who fears the Lord? Do you practice his presence? Do you act remembering that you are in his presence even when no other living person is around you? That's the fear of the Lord. 
It is to do what we do out of respect for him, remembering that he is our constant witness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. To live in the fear of the Lord, Proverbs tells us, is to have strong confidence. It is to find a fountain of life. It is to find some of the greatest joys of life. To dwell in his presence and respect him and pay attention to his concerns at all times. There's a wonderful reminder that I mentioned in your discussion questions. It's one of my favorite passages. In fact, if you come if you come up today and ask me, "Can I see your cell phone?" and I turn on my cell phone, you will see the three words "Book of Remembrance" right on the front of my cell phone. It's one of my favorite verses because I want to try to remind myself constantly of the teaching of Malachi three verses sixteen and seventeen. Here's what it says: Then they that feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord hearkened, the Lord listened, and heard it. One of the things that means is this. This afternoon, when we go into our, in a few minutes, when we go into our Sunday school classes this morning, and this afternoon in our discussion groups, the Lord is listening. The Lord is listening to us constantly. It says, and the Lord listened. They that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord listened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him, for those that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. Do you see how much emphasis those two verses are putting on the fear of the Lord? Then every single person who fears the Lord, every single one who fears the Lord and speaks about him one to another, it says the Lord listens. And, and he's recording that. He, I mean, he's writing that down. He is making a note that will be in our book of remembrance for all eternity. Dear friends, what is in your book of remembrance? What is it that the Lord hears you say, even today, even this afternoon? What is it that he will hear you say that is, that is God-honoring, that is respectful to the Lord, and that you will praise the Lord for? The Bible tells us that he is writing it down. The scriptures tell us that God is not unrighteous to forget our works and labors of love, even the most insignificant things. Years ago, I was going through a, a file folder uh, looking for a message, and here I found a, a note from a dear woman, a dear lady in our congregation, just a wonderful, wonderful saint who had written me a note, and I'd forgotten all about the note. And, and I read it, and she was referring back to a message and how much she appreciated a message. Can I tell you honestly, I don't even remember preaching the message. <laughs> it seems like I've preached so many messages across the years. I didn't, and I thought, I must have dealt with that passage somewhere along the line. I couldn't even remember it. But here I found this note where she was specifically expressing thanks for that one particular message that I don't even remember preaching. That's one of the things that really helped me to realize, you know what? Even if you and I don't remember how we honored the Lord, the Lord still remembers how we honored the Lord. And you and I can have a wonderful reunion in heaven going back through the book of remembrance, almost like an album. And the Lord has recorded, remember when you honored me here? Lord, I'd forgotten all about that. Well, I remembered it, he's going to say, and here it is. That is a wonderful reminder that even if we forget our works and labors of love, the Lord remembers them. There's a fifth excellent reason here as it comes to a climax in verse 5. 
when he says, when he says uh, verse, verses 5 and 6, a voice came out of the heavens saying, praise our God, verse 6 I should say, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Now, let the imagery of this verse settle into your minds and hearts just for a moment as I read it again in verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. Have you ever heard uh, a competition known as choral speaking, where an entire group will speak together and they will emphasize certain things? He says here, I heard the voice of a great multitude. Imagine thousands, perhaps millions of people, as the voice of many waters, like like the Niagara Falls or like the Atlantic Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico or the Pacific Ocean and the voice of mighty thundering. And what were they saying? They were saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The final hallelujah in this passage rings across the ages and rings especially in Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah, the Lord our God reigns. See what we're seeing in this passage is We can trust the one who has all power in heaven and earth. You and I can know that he is the righteous and true one. And we ought to. We ought to praise the Lord our God today as we go into our Sunday school classes and we go into our discussion groups. Here's what should be at the very center of our being. Praise for our God. Hallelujah. The Lord our God reigns in truth and justice and righteousness, he will judge the wicked world system and ultimately we will be delivered from it. Dear friends, today in repentance and greater faith, place your dependence. Don't wield control, yield control to the Lord God omnipotent for he alone reigns. Shall we pray together? Father, I glorify you today. For this magnificent passage and this chorus of hallelujahs. And I ask that you would help every single one of us to from our very hearts today praise our God and say and sing our hallelujahs. Our Lord is worthy. Praise our God. Lord, stir it up in every one of us as we seek to honor you from the very our very inner beings and the way we live our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.